You're listening to Force Friends Rewatch, a Star Wars TV show podcast. From Rebels to Resistance and The Mandalorian to Ewoks, we've got you covered. Here's your warning, there will be spoilers. And there will be swearing, because our host just gets so gonk darn excited to talk about these good, good shows. Welcome to Force Friends Rewatch. I'm your host, Andy. Just kidding. I'm here this time. This is Ryan. <laughs> well done, Ryan. On, <laughs> on Force Friends Rewatch, we rewatch Star Wars television shows and then we talk about them. We are currently covering every Mandalorian-themed episode of TV. We went through all of Clone Wars all of Rebels, and now we are covering The Mandalorian, Season 1, Episode 5, The Gunslinger. But before we get into that, Ryan has a bit for us. Yes, I do. Uh, As I'm sure many of you are, I am obsessed with The Bad Batch. I am watching new episodes at ungodly hours. And one thing that I love about it is that it is largely centering on Project War Mantle, which until the Bad Batch was just a throwaway line in Rogue One from Jin when she's scrolling through the database. Project War Mantle is one of the things she uncovers. And now the Bad Batch has sort of contextualized this throwaway line, so we know that War Mantle seems to be the beginning of the Stormtrooper program. My question is... Since Star Wars has a history of throwaway lines with a whole bunch of context that later get expanded into massive stories like the Kessel Run and the Clone Wars, Andy, what Star Wars throwaway line do you feel has untapped story potential behind it? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Thank you. I'm going to think for a second here. Think, 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 think. It's tough because a lot of them have been explained in, like, Legends. True. Like, the business on Catanomoidia, that doesn't count. Like, that's in Labyrinth of Evil, and that's an incredible book, and I wouldn't really need to see that redone because I have that Legends novel, and I love it. Uh, Yeah, that's a good one. I guess something from the sequel trilogy then, because a lot of the sequel trilogy, I feel like, hasn't really had, you know, extra content thrown onto it other than uh, Resistance and the Podameron comic, which are both good. Um, maybe something Maz says, you know, maybe Maz finding Luke's lightsaber. You know, she says, like, that's a story for another time. That could be really fun. Um, I think any of the Han and Chewie stuff uh, with uh, their family and Leia, uh, there's a line about Ben falling to the dark side with, uh, you know, Snoke and stuff, and it implies that, like, they knew who Snoke was earlier. I think that would be interesting. I think the Kylo Ren comic is bad. 
and uh, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't really need that to be, uh, you know, reinforced by other material. I think if they kind of want to retcon that, they they can and they should. But what about you? What's your answer? Right I guess on. my answer is the Snoke thing <laughs> or the uh, the lightsaber. No, fuck. Uh, Kylo taking half of Luke's students. Never explained. Oh, yeah, there you go. Never mentioned. That is what I, I want to find out more about. It's a throwaway line that Kylo took uh, a third of Luke's students uh, when he fell, and I want to see that. So I think that should be more explored. Uh, I think we should get Leia, or not Leia, Jedi Ray and Jedi Finn uh dealing with the fallout of whatever happened to Kylo's evil students. So that oh, is my go. that is my answer. What is yours? Right. Now that I've rambled. I've just rambled <laughs> for five minutes. Oh good. Um like you said, I mean Legends, you know, Legends explored Luke's friend Tank. So I guess my two picks Great both comic, come, by the way. Oh yeah. That was what was that? My brother, my enemy? Uh the battle the Battle of Maradon or whatever. Um Oh, yeah, I just, so I just got in an omnibus on May the fourth. Oh, right. Uh, on. It was called the Other Sons of Tatooine, and it has That's all of it. the Bakes comics, all of the Tank comics. Oh, I love that! And uh, I'm I'm real excited to dive. Other into Sons it. of Tatooine. That is awesome. I think my two are both from the Disney era. Uh, I don't know why this fascinates me that much because I'm not that into the Empire, but when Kira mentions that two of the more secure places where they might find coaxium are Scarif and Mercy Island. I think because Scarif is so familiar to us, I want to know what Mercy Island is. Like, obviously that is an ironic name, but how does that play into the Empire's propaganda? And then my other one, Poe knows Admiral Holdo as Battle of Chiron Belt Admiral Holdo, what is the Battle of Chiron Belt? Why did she distinguish herself there so much that Poe is surprised to see her? Like, what What was that? I'm surprised that hasn't been explored. Although, for that matter, let's see the Battle of Tanab. Yeah. So I guess yeah, I have three. I, I think that for a long time, they wanted to wrap up the sequel trilogy before they really started pushing out content. Yeah, And I get it because, you know, J.J. threw the Poe comics off the fucking window. So, yeah, uh, which is a shame because those comics were really good. Uh, And it's frustrating when you read something and then that happens. Um, I mean, I talk all the time that, that like what is and isn't canon doesn't matter. So if you love those comics, ignore that line in. Last Jedi, or not Last Jedi, Rise of Skywalker, and, you know, keep the comics. But it, sure. it is frustrating. It is frustrating. And it's not like the Kanan thing on The Bad Batch where the, the themes and the characters of the story were still intact. Like, that completely changes who Poe was and therefore is. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, there's definitely a racial quality to it. Oh, yeah. That is uncomfortable. Um, I don't, uh, think J.J. Abrams is a racist. I think he has, uh, maybe some unfortunate views of, uh, 
people, uh, you know, specifically like Hispanic or Latinx people, and that seeped into his uh, view and writing of Poe. Um, I also think it was people misunderstood. It's not my place maybe to tell the, the person who got to direct Star Wars who the trio is, but I think people were like, oh, well, Poe is the cool one, so he's Han, and uh, Ray is Luke, but Ray is also the girl, so Ray is Leia, and we don't know what to do with Finn. And yeah, they don't fit me, into those boxes. To me, Ray is Luke, Poe is Leia, Finn yes. is Han. 100%. Poe is the one who's already established in the Rebellion, uh, he has a close relationship with Leia, and he is, like, the military leader like Leia was. Finn was the one running from his past who didn't know if he should be committed or not and, like, had to be convinced to join the cause. And he's got, like, this really great arc of, you know, becoming invested and becoming a leader like Han did. And then, you know, Rey's Luke with you know, the bigger destiny and the small town and, you know, wanting more. Uh, exactly. But yeah, I, I think, uh, I think JJ was like, oh, well, Poe is Han. And so we got to give him a, you know, a piratey smuggler background. And it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work. No. And it, it all, all that even aside, it doesn't really add anything to the character's no. arc. No. It's shitty. It's not like Poe was trying to decide whether or not to stay committed to the cause. Like, none of that was there. It was just the generic Star Wars outlaw backstory. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that was a good bit. It it threw me for a loop. I wasn't ready for it. (laughs) I I actually debated... I know this this breaks the rules of Force Friends Rewatch. I think Bylaw 17, Section B, Clause 4J says that I can't give you advance notice of the bits. But honestly, yeah. I thought about just waiving that um, and, and, and giving you a little bit of prep time. But I'm kind of glad I didn't because your answer was still thorough as ever. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> of course. Before we get into The Mandalorian, uh, by the time this comes out, it It'll be about Pride Month. And uh, I don't think we're really doing anything special for for Pride Month on Force Friends. Um, One, we record Force Friends super in advance. And by the time I realized we should start recording for Pride Month because Pride Month is around the corner. I wasn't I wasn't. I wasn't ready. It was too late. Two, I'm going on a vacation in June, which would make trying to schedule something special or some sort of guests around Pride Month very difficult. And three, I've been asked to guest on some shows for Pride Month. And Hell yeah. That is going to take up time. So, uh, if you want to hear me talk about gay stuff for Pride Month, uh, tune into Pink Milk. Um, one, you should be tuning into Pink Milk anyway. They're incredible. Yeah, that's a good and, one. And uh, they, they've been very kind to us. Uh, they have shout us, uh, shouted us out multiple, multiple times now. And, uh, you know, I've gotten to know the people over there. And uh, they're just all lovely and making really great 
uh, Star Wars content. So be listening to them. But uh, I got to uh, I'm going to be guesting over there for their Pride Month stuff. So tune into that. And I mean, Chase was on here uh, last time with that gay Jedi. I'm sure Chase is doing a bunch of great uh, gay stuff because Chase is always doing great gay stuff. So you should be listening and watching that gay Jedi on YouTube. Uh, and, uh, I love chicks with dice. They're, uh, an RPG podcast and they're doing a, uh, a star Wars campaign right now that you should start. They just did a like fucking incredible racing like arc where it was like, uh, heavily inspired by like real life race car driving. And, um, I'm blanking on the word. What is that called? Not NASCAR. Is there like a big race with a specific name? Formula One, Indy 500. Yeah, it was Formula One inspired. There we go. Oh, right on. Yeah, I don't know shit about racing, but it was uh, it was a really good arc, and uh, all the people on that show are incredible, and it's uh, it's very very queer. Uh, I believe they're all trans, which is just the raddest that you can just listen to a Star Wars project with all trans people. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, so you should go check out Chicks with Dice. I'm sure there are other great queer Star Wars creators out there that I am blanking, but those are some of my favorites. Uh, Joe Organo was on here. Joe is great with the Twitch streaming. Uh, He's also very hot, so go tune into his Twitch before Twitch removes him for being too hot. I think Twitch just does that if you're too hot. It could happen. But yeah, that's, that's why I'm not on there. That's my I'm Pride Month plug. I don't know when this episode is dropping because I don't know how time works anymore. But there's a ton of it, other creators doing queer stuff. Tune into them. Maybe we'll do something. Maybe we won't. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> it, it, we're running out of time, and I I got other stuff going on. So who knows? But. Time doesn't work anymore. It just no, it, just doesn't. it doesn't. I'm like May is almost over, so June is almost here, and we release every two weeks, and we just released an app. Like, like it's trying to schedule podcast. It's tough. It's tough. But yeah. Anyway, we're busy if you're people. Like, if you're like Force Friends is homophobic, they didn't do anything for Pride Month. Uh yeah, that's true. You're right. <laughs> no, there's there's tune into these other shows I just plugged. They're all great. For sure. Uh and yeah, you can hear me on other shows for for Pride Month. I'll be on on Pink Milk and and maybe some others. But yeah, that's that's my little Pride Month thing. Do you have anything Ryan that you want to say before we get into the Mando? Um, not really. Uh, I got nothing. I'm not doing anything. I work and sleep. I'm so sorry. You work and sleep. I work That's and good. sleep. You're, and do you're, making, you're making merch for Force Friends? How's that coming? That's true. I need to find time for that because every okay. time I'm like, I'm off. It's like, but I am designing a t-shirt for Force Friends. And if you Love have it. any ideas, hurl them at us on Twitter. Hurl them full force, overhand, full force. baseball throw. Yeah. Full force. Look at that. Accidental but, Star Wars puns. Where uh where they may radio has a a T Fury? T T shop? A T we got T Public. A T Public. We got a T Public. Public store and a uh a red bubble. 
Yes, yes. Am I saying these right? Yeah, we got a cheese public right. and a red bubble. If you want some Where They May Radio merch, it's out there. Uh, the, and it's wonderful. Some of the other shows on the network already have products on there. The network itself has products, and, and Force Friends will be uh, joining eventually. And we're excited for that. I can't wait to Very have excited. like a coffee mug or something. Yeah. Nice little coffee mug. Nice throw blanket. If you got the big bucks, spring for the shower curtain. Yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> we we can watch. We can be with you when you shower. Love that. Love that <laughs> Maybe for we us. already are. Love that for you. I love that for, for our listeners. <laughs> um, I just watched uh, Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time, which had a very uncomfortable and awkward uh, bathing scene. So Ugh. none of that. Don't need any yeah, we of do, that. We're not like that. That's not no. That's not our style. Uh, so let's talk about Mando. The gunslinger. I, I almost said Bad Batch, but we're not talking <laughs> about the Bad Batch. We're talking about the Mandalorian no. Season 1, Episode 5, The Gunslinger. It opens with a space battle, and it's a good space battle. I like, yeah. I like the look of this pilot. I like the look of his ship. It just feels... Very uh, Star Wars to me. The the pilot especially feels very Rogue One esque yeah. to me. He just feels uh very very much in that vein of kind of like World War Two esque Star Wars aesthetic, which I dig. It's a great gunfight or dogfight, and uh, Mando wins, but the ship gets damaged. He's got to land for repairs. Where does he land? Tatooine, we meet the hero of Star War, the the very best character to ever Star War. <laughs> yes. Uh, is it Pelimato? Am I saying that right? Pelimato, yes, yes. Just incredible. Just, just She's a, great. a delight. Uh, we get some pit droids, which I love. And Tatooine's very different now. It seems in the wake of the Empire's fall, but probably more importantly, Jabba's death, things have really turned around. Uh, But Mando needs credits to fix his ship. He goes to Chalman's Cantina. He meets a douchebag named... Toro Calican. Toro Calican, which is a very Star Wars... Very Star Wars name. And uh, they team up to fight an assassin named Fennec Shand, who made her name working for all of the major crime syndicates, including the Huts, according to Mando. And uh, they they go on some wacky adventures. They meet some Tusken Raiders. They uh, they bond. Uh, they defeat Fennec with some trickery and uh, mostly Toro sucking. Uh, Mando's speeder bike gets damaged. So he, uh, you know, do they say that they're going to separate? He says he'll go back for the do-back or something, right? Yeah, and he tells Toro to watch Fennec. Yeah, and Fennec murders her and then uh, because Fennec is like the baby and Toro is like, I'm gonna kidnap that little goblin. And, uh, yeah, they have a shootout and, uh, Mando, Mando wins and Toro loses and, uh, the ship's repaired and they head out. And that's the episode. Well, oh, and then and there's that little, 
the Spurs. Yeah. Uh, we see someone approach Fennec's uh, crumpled body and uh, cue the debate for like a year and a half oh, yeah, about whether yeah. or not Fennec was uh, was dead or, or what have you. And this is why we do Force Friends the way we do. Yeah. We get to skip all that debate and questioning, and we yeah. can just look back at this episode now with the fresh eyes of knowing that Fennec is going to be in season two and also the Bad Batch. And the Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, oh yeah. She's definitely going to be in she's, the Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, she's going to be all over. And this is where I apologize to everyone who had to listen to my five-minute little presentation that I gave so many times at the end of 2019 on why that was obviously Dangar or maybe Cobb Vanth from the Aftermath books. It's not Boba Fett. You're wrong. That's a red herring. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that happened. <laughs> it was I... I who was wrong. I thought it was possible we'd be getting Boba Fett in this show. I I think I was adamant that I didn't want him in season two. And I was wrong. Uh, like, it was great to have him in season two. So Yeah, that was the Boba Fett that I like. See, I thought, I agree, I thought we would get him, but I just didn't think that was him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. I know. What, what worked for you with this episode, now that I've ranted about the synopsis? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, a lot, you know? Um, I liked seeing a different Tatooine. I liked how many seeds it planted for the future of the series without be without feeling like it was just setting things up. Like it was a story in and of itself with three acts, but everything from the major foreshadowing of Boba Fett to the minor foreshadowing that like, huh, these Tuscans can and are willing to communicate and trade with humans. You know, if you read Aftermath, you know that, relations with the Tuscans were a priority for Mos Pelgo. Maybe that's a thing, you know? It 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 just really fleshed out Tatooine in this era, and I don't think season two would be the opening on Tatooine would really be what it was if that was the first time we were seeing Tatooine in the show. I remember there were a lot of complaints about this episode relying heavily on nostalgia. And yeah. I don't think they held weight for me. Like, don't get me wrong. I love seeing Tatooine. And mm-hmm. I want to go to Tatooine anytime it makes sense in the story to go to Tatooine. Same. But, like, I don't want to not go to Tatooine because we've seen it before. You know? Like, I, I feel like that's always the complaint of like, oh, you're just relying on the nostalgia because Tatooine's in A New Hope. But like, it's a great location. Yeah, it really and is. And if they need Tatooine, presumably for the Kenobi series, which is going to take place entirely on Tatooine, why not, you know, if it makes sense in the story, like, have Mando go there? And yeah. by the by the way, it kind of makes sense for Mando to go there. Like one, Boba Fett like was notorious for working in Tatooine, and Boba Fett is a well known Mandalorian bounty hunter, and our main character happens to be a Mandalorian bounty hunter. So like mm-hmm. it makes sense that he'd end up there at some point. And two, like 
Jabba was like the biggest crime lord in the underworld. So it makes sense for other criminals to be there and bounty hunters hunt criminals. So like to me, it just kind of like lined up that like it makes sense for the story to go there. It makes sense for Lucasfilm to want to like make these sets and these costumes and these props and, you know, kind of use them as much as possible. So exactly. I, I, I seeing all these articles about like relying on nostalgia. I'm like, so what? It's the same cantina. Like, it's not like the Mandalorian walked in and was like, this is where Han Solo shot Greedo <laughs> and he shot first. You, you know, like it, it wasn't, I didn't yeah. feel like it was ramming a new hope references down our throats. Like, a droid works also, the bar. Okay. Yeah. He's voiced by Mark Hamill. That's cool. Yeah, I was gonna why say, are we, this is my first time watching this, this since we knew that. Yeah, that's awesome. Good for Mark. <laughs> also, yeah. to your point, we learned a ton of new things about the location. Like, exactly. it's a completely different... It's a completely different city than the last time we saw it. Yeah, it's 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 very much a post-war city, even though the war presumably never really reached Tatooine. Like, it's it's kind of a power vacuum. But it's not like a... It didn't seem to me like a turbulent power vacuum. Like, things seemed pretty calm and quiet. Yeah, it, it does really feel like no Jabba plus no Empire. Tatooine's just chill now. And I yeah. find that I find that incredibly fascinating about what this set up for the Book of Boba Fett. Because why on earth is Boba Fett returning to this like podunk planet now? Yeah. Um, I loved what we got with the Tuscan Raiders. Uh I love that they got a deaf actor to do the sign yeah. language. I don't know if that was American sign language or sci-fi sign language. I hate when uh, specifically like sci-fi shows use made up sign language. We complained about that a ton on ending pending when we covered in humans, which you should listen to those episodes if you haven't. And you want to hear us go slowly insane from how terrible Marvel's in humans was. But um, yeah, I thought it was really, really cool that like, Mando is this kind of one warrior culture and he really respects the Tusken Raiders and sees them as uh, as equals rather than villains, which it, they've typically been portrayed as, uh, you know, uh, the aggressors or the ones that fall yeah. uh, in so, Star Wars. So. I looked up uh, what the deal is with the sign language because I had the same thought. And uh, it was Dave Filoni's idea that the Tuscans use some kind of sign language. And then a hearing member of the crew who knew ASL suggested that anything they do, they consult, you know, with a deaf professional. So Troy Kotzer, who played one of the Tuscans, uh, he was also hired to kind of be their ASL consultant. And it was he, the deaf actor, who did not want to use American sign language because since Tuscans don't speak basic, it, he felt that they should have their own sign language. So it's rooted in sign language and it, it has Star Wars.com actually provides a translation for everything they say. 
but it is a sci-fi sign language, but one that was developed uh, by deaf individuals. That's so rad. Yeah, so I like cool. that. I like his I like his rationale behind it too, that like the Tuscans wouldn't speak basic in any form. And and I I like that thought process of deaf people who are fluent in basic would likely sign with ASL. Yeah. Because that is the equivalent of basic. But because this people group does not know that language, they would not have developed the same sign language. That's very cool. Exactly. Yeah, I like that a lot. That was that was really fun. And very I don't know, I have I have two really good friends who are deaf Star Wars fans who they they coordinate special programs at a deaf school in Los Angeles and we go there every May 4th and we visit. One of them dresses up like Kylo Ren. One of them dresses up like Mace Windu. And then, you know, all their friends who cosplay dress up as characters. And we go to every classroom in the school and we teach a couple Star Wars quotes in ASL. All of my ASL consists of Star Wars quotes because of these guys uh, that have been teaching me. And they, they, it's, I mean, for, for weeks like their joy at finally seeing something like that and then trying to figure out the tuscan sign language and learning it together that was that was just really cool to see because i mean these two guys their their passion for star wars is i i I would say it, it it is on the level with us that's so rad yeah and like that's yeah. why representation matters so much yes exactly like we should have more deaf characters in Star Wars. We should have more blind characters in Star Wars who can't, you know, see using magic. We should have, uh, you know, more queer characters and more characters of color. And, uh, you know, it'd be nice to have some characters of uh, different uh, gender identities. But um, it seems like we're slowly but surely introducing uh, more representation. And this was uh, this was nice. Yeah. Fennec Shan doesn't age, but neither does Ming-Na Wen. Fennec Shan is awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm really into her uh her character right now. Uh great seeing her in The Bad Batch. Yeah. Uh, super cool. Makes me wonder uh if Boba Fett will be showing up there. And uh, we, we've been very vocal about our Boba Fett opinions in the Mandalorian rewatch, but I really like Daniel Logan's Boba Fett. And uh, I would love to see uh, a very young Boba Fett again, who's kind of figuring his shit out. And uh, we get some Boba Fett in season two of the Mandalorian talking about being a clone. It would be really great on this clone focused show. Yes. Where independent clones who are trying to figure out what it, it, who they are and what their identities are now that the war is over interacting with a Boba Fett who is trying to figure out who his identity is. Yeah. Um, especially think- because these clones are going to become mercenaries like the A team. Exactly. And Boba Fett is a as a mercenary, so but not like the A team, no, like his <laughs> uh, like his daddy. Our thinking after that last episode, especially, 
was that, uh, you know, we know that Aura Singh doesn't live very long into the post-imperial era, less than nine years. And I wonder if Fennec sort of takes her place because Boba is still pretty young when she dies. Like, even if we assume Boba or that, that Aura was killed shortly before Solo, Boba's in his early 20s when Solo ends. So even even if we go with the extended timeline of the Clone Wars that you prefer, that the Clone Wars were, what, five years? I think it's the only thing that makes sense. <laughs> I, I don't think it makes sense that it's three. It doesn't. And, like, can I accept things in Star Wars that don't make sense? Absolutely. But there's nothing holding them to three. Yeah, it's not in the movies. They're the ones who decided that they wanted to keep making seasons of a really great TV show. Yeah. I, like, why hold yourself to an arbitrary date because you didn't know you were going to make a really great TV show? <laughs> so. But yeah, yeah I I'm, think I think Fennec could sort of fill, because Aura wasn't a very good mentor to Boba, and I can't imagine Cad Bane was. Even if Boba did relink up with Aura Singh, which I think was what that arc was going to sort of involve, you know, she dies. Uh, and I could see Fennec kind of helping a young Boba find his place, and then he would be indebted to save her like we see in Mandalorian. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. I think it makes sense. And uh, I'm hoping we get that sort of content. And I love how much the shows, whether they're animated or live action, are uh, integrating with each other. Yes. Um, I think that's a big thing that Marvel initially dropped the ball on was their their shows were really isolated from their movies and they didn't feel like they all mattered. And this is doing a great job of being like, no, Resistance is just as important as uh, Rebels, which is just as important as Clone Wars, which is just as important mm -hmm. as The Mandalorian. And we're going to include characters from all of these shows. Uh, when it makes sense and adds to the story, they're going to be connected. And it makes this episode, which was kind of passable, feel really important. Yeah. Yeah, this is... This episode kind of gives us Fennec in a nutshell. You know, we don't even see her until over halfway through, but she's more memorable than Toro Californication ever was. And Bo or not Boba, Mando's fear <laughs> at hearing her name yes. is palpable. He's like, screw that. I'm out. Yeah. You're going up against Fennec Shan. She's a master assassin for all the major crime syndicates, including the Huts. Like, yeah, that we've line already is a great intro, and we've seen him shoot up the bounty hunters guild with no fear. You know, the hardest bounty hunters in the galaxy there, and yet Fennec Shand. Yeah, that says everything about her. It really, really does. And uh, Ming Na Wen is just a national treasure. And, oh, she's uh, fantastic. I'm so so happy she's in Star Wars right now, and in a big way too. I was so mad way. that they seemed to throw Fennec away in this episode. Yeah, it. I remember complaining that, like, how did Star Wars have Thanduay Newton and Ming-Na Wen and toss both of them aside? Mm-hmm. 
And I'm so grateful that they retconned, they didn't retcon, but that it was a fake out with Ming-Na Wen. And if they wanted to retcon, um, gosh, I'm blanking on the character's name. Val. That's, thank you. That's how little she mattered. <laughs> if they wanted to retcon Val back, uh, I wouldn't complain. She's great. I wouldn't. Yeah. She, she, she was. She's got all that climbing equipment. She could have. Uh, she could have launched herself like Batman from the animated series away from that explosion, and we just didn't I see it. Support it. it. Yeah. yeah. Bring Thandaway Newton back. She's incredible. Please. I'm rewatching Westworld right now because Evan hasn't seen it, and like she is just awe-inspiring in that show. Uh, if you have not seen Westworld, it's very good. That was her breakout role, right? And then that probably led directly to Star Wars. I don't know if it was necessarily her breakout role, but it is definitely a career-defining role. Like, it is uh, just just remarkable, uh, the, the acting that she, she gives to every scene. And, boy, yeah, yeah, she's just... It, it's a master class. It's a master class on storytelling and acting from her. Even her tiny role in Solo, I mean, she really gave it her all yeah yeah she she was excellent yeah wreck on that have an old val confront han solo 10 years later i don't know i guess they could bring her back in bad batch like yeah if they're doing syndicate underworld stuff and you want to have beckett's crew yeah in an episode or two yeah, that would like, be fun. like they have the, they made Dryden Voss for Clone Wars, so they have that asset, and it would be weird if they used the Kanan asset again, without, like, if they bothered to make Kanan and Depa yes. for season seven, for one scene. It seems like they did that because they knew they were going to reuse them, and uh, that makes me think that Dryden is showing up at some point in Bad Batch. So like, I yeah, hope bring, so. bring, bring other characters from that world and, and, uh, give me more, more Thandaway Newton cause she's incredible. Yeah. Anyway, this is not a bad batch episode, but, <laughs> uh, they, they, like you can't, you can't help but talk about it. And again, this is why we do force friends the way we do. Like, yeah, because Star Wars has gotten really good about bringing all of this stuff together in really big and interesting ways. And it's fun to look at it when you know kind of where other stuff is at. For sure. I I like how they beat her, like with the flares and the speed of the bikes. Like it makes like that that plan made sense of like we're going to rush a sniper. We know that like she's got this fancy scope. We're going to, like, screw up the scope with these flares. It doesn't work out because Toro kind of sucks, but, like, it still ultimately works out. It's just a clever plan, you know? Yeah, it... And it... I kind of forgot that whole plan was in there. Like, I, it's funny. I did not remember much about the middle part of this episode. I remembered it in chunks. I remember they went to Mos Eisley... I remembered Amy Sedaris was hilarious. I remembered that they somehow subdue Fennec. And it's weird that I don't remember that because that's such a great 
character piece, that whole fight. It's Mando's wits. And the Beskar is important. You know, it's important that he's a Mandalorian, but the fact that they had smarted her with the flare charges and... Yeah, I, I don't... I don't know why I, I didn't will, remember that fight. I will say that this is the... A sign of things to come that I don't love and with Mando's Beskar, and I guess that's a negative, so I'll hold on to it. But yeah, this True. episode, it worked, it worked for me. I... <laughs> I love Toro's line of like, these are pretty good bikes, huh? I'm a Corellian. What do you expect? And like, I kind of feel like everyone views Corellians the way we view Toro. Like Han Solo (laughs) bragging about being Corellian. It kind of feels like how everyone feels about Philadelphians outside of Philadelphia. And Philadelphians are like, no, I'm from Philly. Like, I'm cool. And everyone else is like, God, what a douchebag. Uh, <laughs> it it made me it made me laugh. It's a good character line. Yeah. Yeah, you could almost hear Mando's eyes roll under his helmet when it's just uh. There's some great physical acting with Mando this episode and like him giving Toro looks. And there's no facial expression because it's this yes. helmet. But how he moves his neck and how he tilts his head. And he's just giving Toro these looks, and they're all excellent. Yeah, this was the first episode where, on my first watch, I really took notice of just how brilliantly performed Mando is. And again, it's a testament to all of the actors that are involved. Yeah, because playing against someone whose face you can't read is not easy. And, uh... I do want to say that the actor playing Toro, uh, Jake Canna, Cannavale, Cannavale, J- yeah, Cannavale. Jake Cannavale, he was, he was great. Yeah. Yeah. Like the character is not meant to be likable. He does a great job portraying an unlikable character. It is not yes. easy to do that. No. Yeah. He was brilliant. Do you think he was playing Mando at all? With the whole, like, it's my first time, I'm, I suck. Like, do you, I hadn't considered what, was that. that legit? I think that was legit. I think he was so arrogant about everything he got right that I think that was legit. I think he was really just in over his head and scared. Was he always planning on giving Mando the money? Because I, like, on this rewatch, I was like, oh, he's he's keeping that money. I think he was hoping for an out. I think he was... I don't think he had a plan to steal the money, but I think he was hoping something came his way. I, uh, I think he was lying there. I, I don't think he planned on giving it up. I do think the other stuff was honest. Like, I do think this is his, like, into the guild... And that he's uh, like a little nervous about being in over his head. I think he was like, this Mando's a chump. I'm going to get him to, because he's the target. The the guy in a leather jacket or the guy in Beskar? The guy in Beskar. Yeah. So like, he's like, I got me this great big uh, shield right here. This Mandalorian sized shield. When we go after Fennec, she's going to focus on him. 
If he does make it out, I'll finish him off. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, I think he definitely did not want Mando to survive that mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think he wanted it to come down to a one-on-one between the two of them. No, probably not. I think if things would have gone according to plan, I don't know that he would have stood up to Mando. Might have tried to con him. Might have tried to rob him. Oh, yeah. Like, I I think he maybe would have taken a cheap shot or just tried to run. Yes. But I I think his intention was to play Mando. And uh, it it made me like this character more, rewatching it and kind of knowing he's sinister from the start. I mean, we all suspected he was sinister from the start, but like... Mm -hmm. I think I only watched this one once before and rewatching it now with the the full knowledge of who Tora was. Uh, I saw him as more sinister from the beginning rather than just incompetent. And it made me enjoy him a bit more. Because I remember hating him, like just thinking he <laughs> I, was a badly written character, but I didn't oh, I feel that did. way at all uh, this time. That's one thing that from the beginning I was like, oh, this son of a bitch, I feel exactly how I'm supposed to feel about you. But I, I, yeah. There were a couple, like, I don't think the episode itself leans too heavily on nostalgia, but there were a couple awkward lines speaking of the bad writing, and I guess I'm getting into negatives here prematurely? No, we can get into negatives now. I mean, it's... It's not my favorite episode. I do think it got a lot of undeserved crap. Yes. Uh, I liked a lot of the stuff that people, and by people I mean like clickbait articles, complained about um, the show. I do think that uh, this coming off of the uh, feminist SJW garbage that was the last episode, people complained about it even extra saying that the mm-hmm. show was dead, um, which, you know, was wrong. <laughs> like, just point of factly, the show is great. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, I I like all the Tatooine stuff. I like Mando. I like Fennec. It's a good episode. If you want to get into negatives, we can get into negatives. Yeah, I mean, I there's a couple lines. The only one that I can remember was when Pelly says, oh, drop it in Beggar's Canyon. You know, Beggar's Canyon probably isn't that close to Mos Eisley, just because, you know, Luke grew up in the middle of nowhere, far from Mos Eisley. And I just... Okay. Dave, I watched the original trilogy, too. I like it. You like it. I know you watched it. You don't have to constantly remind me, you know, like the episode itself doesn't lean too heavily on nostalgia, but there were a couple of lines where it was like, I didn't forget we were on Tatooine. You didn't have to say that. Shining out, out beyond the dune sea. It's like, okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that, that, but I don't have a lot more negative to say, you know, it, uh, it was a fun episode and it served its purpose and it, it set things up, but told its story. And that's really what you need from a narrative like this. Have you seen the movie John Wick? I have not. Okay. 
John Wick is an incredible movie starring Keanu Reeves as um, someone who, like, is this tough, badass kind of guy, and he has to do tough, badass kind of things. And in the first movie, he is constantly kicking ass, taking names, but every fight he walks away a little bit worse for wear. And by the end of the movie, he is, like, dragging himself and is covered in, like, bullet holes and knife wounds. And uh, as much as he is, like, a supernatural killing machine and as much as the movie relies very heavily on, like, metaphors to mythology and religion and making Mm -hmm. John Wick out to kind of be this, um, like deified figure almost uh he is a human and in the sequel john wick gets a bulletproof suit it is a regular suit it is a regular suit for all intents and purposes it looks completely like a normal suit it looks almost identical to the suit he wore last movie but because this one is bulletproof He, like, at times will hold it, like, Batman holds his cape and, like, deflect bullets and, like, he'll get shot and, like, be fine. And I hate it. It is the worst thing to happen to that movie franchise. I still like those movies, but they're not as good now. They, and, like, a big part of it for me is this bulletproof suit because it is absurd. It's so silly it feels a lot like a video game mechanic like how he uses it and that sort of thing works really well for a video game it doesn't work for a movie and no this like this reminder that john wick is a human because he is getting the shit beat out of him is gone and i kind of feel that way about mando's best car in season two of the mandalorian and this is the first look at that where he gets hit multiple times by this really high powered sniper rifle. And the first time it hits him, he's like, Oh, thank goodness. The best car held like we're far (laughs) enough away that like, you know, the bolt, even though it hit me dead center, like my armor could like hold up to it because of the distance. And then he gets hit a lot closer and he gets, you know, knocked to his feet and is clearly like hurt. And by season two, he is running down hallways full of laser fire and getting yeah. shot a bunch and he's fine. And yeah. <laughs> I get that Beskar can hold up to a lot. I like, you know, we've seen Beskar like, and lightsabers kind of go toe-to-toe. And I love how the best car gets, like, white hot when the lightsabers hit it. And that's really cool to me. But if you can run down a hallway full of blaster fire and not one blaster hit you where the best car's not covering... Yeah, then I'm bored. Yeah, yeah. And, like, it's a small complaint, but... And, like I said, it works this episode. But it is a sign of things to come that I hope gets rectified. Yeah. <laughs> that I, uh, is fair. I, I don't... Because, like, we said earlier in season one, like, it's so cool 
that this guy is tough and he is good at what he does, but he's not invincible. He gets beat up. He gets knocked down. He gets covered in mud. His armor gets ruined. And um, I don't want him to be invincible in the way that he feels in season two. We should be clear. It's still not at Karen Travis levels of Beskar Mm -hmm. or of Mando invincibility, but it, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a very valid critique. Yeah, and it's, like you said, it's way better than Mandos and Legends, uh, yeah. written by Karen Travis. They're they're unbearable. Yeah. Unbearably invincible, is it? But that's that's really, like, my only complaint. I loved seeing the, the knots of the prequels. I liked the Stormtrooper helmets on Spikes. I liked uh, seeing R5 again. Yeah, although I will say that that's another, this is a dumb critique. Uh, we, my, my girlfriend and I, a couple years ago, took an awesome trip where we drove out into the desert and went to all of the locations from Death Valley. Uh, we saw that Moss Eisley Overlook, which was really cool to see at the start of this episode. But on the way, we listened to the audiobook of, from a certain point of view. And I don't know if it was the emotions of seeing Tatooine and listening to that, but as we drove through Tatooine, we listened to the story of R5-D4 and how that little guy just had a dream to get off Tatooine and join the Rebellion. And for whatever reason, Becca, my girlfriend, really connected with that. And she was, her one hope for any future story was that we would see R5-D4 and somehow join the Rebellion. And let me tell you, she was crushed to see he was still on Tatooine looking beat up. (laughs) He looks a lot cleaner. Do you think so? The, his red was he, so scuffed he looked pink. I thought he looked a lot cleaner. Maybe it's my bad TV. He faded, definitely. I I like to think that he did leave and he decided to come back when the war was over. You know what? I'm going to tell her that you said that and it might yeah. make her day. Because like, as much as he wanted to leave Tatooine and join the Rebellion, I, I kind of felt like you know, a quiet retirement in the hometown you left that you didn't think you wanted to ever see again. But like after the the struggle, like that's maybe exactly what you need. Yeah, like, that that's was kind of the, the, the vibe I had. And maybe I'm reading way too much into it, but um, no, I like that. I yeah. choose to believe that. Because. Yeah, I I love I, I love that guy. I, I, too, have a bad motivator. <laughs> Me, three. But I'm doing my best. Yeah. It's a fine episode. Yeah. And that's all it needed to be. Yeah. That's probably my least favorite of season one, but it's still good. Wow. Okay. It's still a good episode. Yeah, it is. No. It's, it's probably, like, towards the middle for me. Like, when I say that Attack of the Clones is my second-to-last favorite Star Wars movie, it's still a good Star Wars movie, and I'd still choose to watch it, like, yeah. today. Maybe I will it's no watch Rise it of Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I kid, I'm sorry. If you like it, that's, that's fine. We can like different things in our Star Warses. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, that's gonna let's 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 wrap it there. Um, let's wrap I didn't, it. I didn't pull up my little scripts. I'm gonna do that right now.
<laughs> well, that's going to do it for us. Follow us on Twitter at Force Friends Pod. Should, uh, we want to, I got to rewrite this. I keep doing this. I keep not rewriting it. And then oh, no. I just look like it. I look like a, a fool. But uh, we want to give a huge you don't thank look you like to- a fool. Oh, this oh, is a thanks. podcast. You sound like a fool. <laughs> I'm sorry. Lovely. Thank you. <laughs> you we want to give a huge thank you to Bristol Podworks for that intro and for being our producer. Go reach out to them to make your podcast dreams come true. We have teamed up with Ending Pending and Fan Fiction is Good, actually, to form Where They May Radio. You can get some amazing rewards at Patreon slash WTM Radio. You should get over there. If you haven't checked out our newest podcast, Fan Fiction is Good, actually, it is extremely insightful. It's very funny. It's got a heart of gold. It is not out to shit on fan fiction. It's out to celebrate it. And any and all fan-made works. Uh, because uh, at the end of the day, isn't everything fan fiction? If you yes. really think about it. That's not what they say. That's what I say. But that's if I wrote that podcast and, and was in charge, that's what I would say on it. But they say it better, so listen to them. <laughs> Ryan. Andy. How do we end the show? We implore those responsible to tell the boy about his parents. Tell the boy this, about his parents. This is the way. This is... The, there are many ways. There are many this ways. This is a cult. This is a cult. This is a cult. There are many ways. And some ways work for some people and some ways don't work for other people. And that's fine. Yes. Take your helmet off. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to leave that on. Yeah. Feel the tattooing sun upon your face. Suns. 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 Yeah. And the boy is a son. And tell the boy about his parents. Hey, Full bring circle. it back. Bring it back. It's bring like it poetry. Back. It rhymes. Oh, yeah.